This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, session number 64. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. Today, I have with me Michael Becker, who is a repeat guest on the show. We interviewed him last, almost two years ago, in session number 17. So it's themichaelblanc.com forward slash session 17, where we chronicle his journey from zero to 1,000 units. In the meantime, he's actually added about another 4,000 units. And I thought, hey, it might be nice to have Michael back on the show. Also, since I met him on the Real Estate Guys cruise a few weeks ago, real great guy, really likes to share his experiences, kind of low-key. And you know, one of the challenges always is, is how do we find deals? And he just feels strongly about using brokers to find deals. And that's kind of what we're spending on in this particular episode, really drilling down on, hey, what does that look like? And how do you build relationships even if you don't have the experience? How do you build a rapport? And how do you get to, essentially, how do you eventually get to the off-market deal. That's what we're, we're working on. So he's Michael's got some really great tips and tricks on how to how to do all that. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hey, Michael, welcome back to the show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Get us up to speed a little bit. It's been a little while since we had you. I think we had you on episode 17 or so. And uh, at the time, you basically went from zero to a thousand units in 12 months, which was amazing. So if you haven't listened to that episode, guys, and go to themichaelblank.com forward slash session 17. So with that, Michael, just get us up to speed, reintroduce yourself for those who haven't heard about you, and then kind of get us up to speed what happened uh, since then. Sure. Yeah. Michael Becker, uh, based in Dallas, Texas area. And uh, my background is in banking. So I, I that's kind of how I got into the, the business. I was a commercial uh, lender, worked at uh, you know, community banks, and most recently was at Wells Fargo for you know almost a decade. And, and that's what I did for a living. I just made loans to people that, that bought income real estate. In the last you know four or five years of my professional career, I focused exclusively on multifamily value-add lending. That's kind of built a program out for Wells Fargo and did hundreds, hundreds of loans for about a three or four-year period there coming out of the recession. And uh, you know, basically, my basic story was I realized I was on the the wrong side of every deal. It was much better to be a borrower than a lender in, in virtually every case. So I went out and did something about it. And when you interviewed me, uh, was that maybe two years ago? Something mm, like yeah, that. Something two, three like years that. ago. Yep. I just got out of Wells Fargo, just finished. Uh, I did about 1,000 units in my first, my first 12 months. Since then, we've done a total of 4,300 units now. We've got a, a $33 million deal in escrow. Kind of where we've, uh, you know, I think I currently we currently own about thirty three hundred. We sold about a thousand. I think I've done twenty one deals. I own fourteen of them. So I mean, I sold seven. So uh, right now we're kind of in the immediate term. What I'm working on is we're selling a uh, fourth property I bought. So we we bought it for about eight point six million, and we're selling it for eighteen and a half. And we're going to ten thirty one from a nineteen sixty nine flat roof building with aluminum wiring and, and cast iron sewers and asphalt parking lot to a two thousand eight vintage A minus deal. In a better part of town, so that's what we're uh, what we're currently working on. That's got me got me excited. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. You know, there's a lot of people who who wonder how someone can scale from zero to four thousand units in like three years. What do you think if you were to boil it down? Aside from you know, you just I guess being awesome. But what do you when you boil it down <laughs> to? <laughs> boiling it down to what, what was that 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 one factor that really helps you get to that level? 
you know, uh, I don't know if there's just one thing, but, you know, one of the things I, I think I do that I was fortunate with, and it, w- it was kind of almost by accident, I have a business partner, a guy named Sean Mabrak, and Sean has uh, uh, got completely different skill sets and, and strengths than what I have, and so we really complement each other very well. We don't, we, what he excels at is not what I like to do, and what I excel is not what he likes to do. So uh, I always like to describe this business as like an exponential business, you know, for a lot of people when you're starting out, you know, going from zero to one is so hard, but going from one to two is not a little bit easier. It's like 10 times easier getting from your, your first deal to your second deal. And that's, uh, that's kind of what I think about a good partner as well. You know, you got lots of partners in this business, but having a good primary partner like him with different skill sets allows me to really focus on what I'm good at. And I don't waste a bunch of time on things that I'm not good at and vice versa. So we do, you know, instead of doing twice as much work with a partner, we probably do four or five times as much volume by having a, you know, really good partner. And that was all just, you know, I didn't have a conscious decision that uh, I thought about when we decided to do business together, but it just really, really helped us out quite a bit. Yeah, you're right. So right. I mean, partnering is so key. You know, if if you don't have the money, then go find someone who does. If you don't have the experience, then go find someone with the experience, right? So that's right. I think that's what you did very well. And so that's definitely a main message we talked about in, in episode 17. What I want to talk about here today a little more is one of the things that you really focus on is finding deals. And you have, you know, have a special, you know, you feel very strongly about this and you're very good at it. So I mean, in your mind, what's what's the best way you guys are finding deals, even from the beginning? Yeah. So just the fact of the business, I think is, you know, definitely true here in in Texas and I'm sure it's pretty much everywhere in the country is the brokers in your town control the vast majority of the deals, whether they're on market or off market, the brokers, most of these deals just run through the brokerage community. So you gotta, you gotta get uh, in with the brokers and, and, you know, then you gotta make sure, you know, you win, you win more deals than, than you, you don't, or, you know, it's a completely unfair business is what I like to say. So you just got to make sure you're on the right side of the unfairness more times than not. And that's what I really strive to do, which is to, you know, have good relationships with brokers, work really hard with them, maintain it, stay in front of them all the time, and then make sure that, you know, now that I've, I've grown and have some chips to trade, then I can, you know, do some things that are, I can kind of pay them back to leverage to win some deals uh, that I want to buy as well. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about other different ways of, of getting deals, you know, uh, I don't know, probate, sending letters, and a variety of different, different ways. Why is it that you feel so strongly about brokers? So if I go to buy a property from you, Michael, you don't, you don't know who I am. And the brokers have, it's their job is to have relationships with owners, especially when you're starting out. They have to have relationships with owners. And then the brokers, uh, one of the other brokers' jobs is to assess credibility and then they they deliver the uh, to their the seller of the property the a certain level of confidence that the, this buyer is vetted and can actually deliver on what they say they're going to do and close on the property. And if I go direct with them, you have this natural skepticism from the the sellers as well as you know I only have so much time. So talk about doing leverage. I want to do a lot of deals, so I don't have time to call and send letters and do that. I just uh, have the brokers. I just use the brokers that go do all that legwork for me. And then when something becomes real, then they put it in front of me and then we can assess if we want to you know, pursue and pursue the deal or just punt out of the gate. But it, he's spending his time. He's spending his resources calling on all these ownership groups, uh, get a whole bunch of no's. And then when he gets a, a maybe, then that's when we get the get the deal put in front of us. Right. So, you know, people listen to this might go, that's great, Michael. You've done 4,000 units. I've done like zero. 
<laughs> right? So sure. what's, if you're more of a newbie, what advice do you have in working with brokers? Yeah. So another thing that I've learned is no one comes to my office and hands me money or no one hands me a deal in my office. You got to get out and do stuff. So it's a good example. We, we talked over podcasts, you know, two, three years ago, but we never met. And I met you in person, what, about a month ago on the Real Estate Guys cruise. And that's, that's a good event to go to. And there's a lot of uh, investors and people to network there. Go to like local meetup groups. There's a lot of, that's a good way to go meet uh, other investors. And then uh, the best way to meet the brokers is just go sign up on the list, get on their list, and then, you know, go go start touring deals with them. Set up a tour on a marketed deal and just go on the property, you know, schedule a tour. And then you get, they, they are kind of there to force to meet you for, you know, the 30 minutes that you're on that tour, then underwrite the deal. And follow up with some feedback on why you like the deal or why this deal doesn't work for you and give them very specific feedback. And that's a good way to have like a second, third touch point with these guys. And then you just kind of continue to do that. And that's a good way to, you know, at least get to know who you are and uh, build at least a little bit of rapport with with you as a, as a potential buyer in the marketplace. Right. So a few things I heard here, Michael, is, is one is the key thing is building relationships and ideally meeting them. You know, mm -hmm. in some in some way, and also providing feedback, right? So if they send you a deal, providing feedback on the deal, uh, and you do that over time, and you know, there's this thing, you know, people call talk about these off market or pocket listings, right? And they're so so elusive. But can you talk a little bit about what an off market deal is and why it's kind of like the holy grail of, of investing? Yeah, back back to the previous point to kind of add on to it. I mean, people do business with people they know and like, and if they don't, you know, if you just send an email, it's easy to hit delete on the email and not really know you. So the face-to-face -face, in-person interaction is it just critical. I mean, I can't stress that enough. That is, this is not a business you do, you know, virtually. You got to get out and got to go meet people and press flesh and, and all those, these cliches that I can keep uh, rambling on. And then if you do that and people know and like you, you know, then that's when you start getting opportunities that they don't share with everybody, which is like the off-market deals. And it's really unlikely you're going to find an off-market deal in your first deal. So you got to go out and buy a deal and perform. And then once you perform, and then that's when this business really starts uh, opening up and scaling. So I, I wouldn't expect that you would most likely get an off-market deal in your first deal because you don't have a track record. And the people that get uh, off-market deals have track records and proven ability that they can go execute and close on deals. But, you know, that, that's it. I, I got deals because I closed. I said I was going to buy it on, on time and not retrade, and that's what I've done. And due to that... You know, I get uh, the word travels fast in the community. It's a pretty small community, even a place like Dallas, where we have 7.4 million people in the metro area and 700,000 apartment units or something like that. And DFW, a place like that is still controlled, you know, maybe 12, 12 brokers control 80 percent of the market, something like that. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's it's definitely a challenge early on. I mean, if you have a track record, I mean, I've seen uh, deals for, for less than, you know, than maybe we were offering because they have sure. because of the relationship they had and the track record. I mean, what are some of the tips you have for the newbie person who's really trying to you know do their first deal and really try to get there and they just they're afraid that they're not being taken seriously, which may actually be the truth. But, sure. you know, if you're, if you're just starting out, you don't have a track record to lean on. What, what are some of the things that people can do to be taken seriously by the broker? Yeah. So again, it's a completely unfair business. So you just kind of got to get over that and then you got to work to uh, get yourself in a better position like like you're referencing. So some of the things I've seen that people did and some of the things that I did when I was starting out to kind of really help you get going is, is you've got to be realistic about where you sit and what your resources are. 
So if you have money, that's just great, but everyone has money. So money's not really, you know, just because you have a whole lot of money doesn't mean they're going to sell you a deal. They want to take, take you seriously. So it's like, uh, I like to have the we conversation more than the I conversation. So when you're starting out, you got to get good people on your, on your team, like a good commercial mortgage broker. You got to get a good management company and a good lawyer, insurance agent. Those are kind of like four of the, the, the more key ones with, with your management company probably being the largest one. So if you're going out and you, um, you know, these, these brokers pretty, pretty much know all the, the top management companies in town and the principles of them because they, you know, it's a small community and they manage a whole lot of deals that they buy and sell all the time. So having the management company on there and you can say, yeah, me, me and so-and-so from the management company and you kind of drop their name and that's kind of a transfer of credibility from you to the management company. If you don't have a track record experience, Go to meetups, meet people, try to find someone that has a track record and experience. It's, then you can talk about we own 100 doors or we own 200 doors. Even though you own zero and your partner owns 200, you can kind of play the we game as well. And that, that certainly also helps with qualifying for financing, having having a track record as well. So those, those are some of the things. This is definitely team sport. And if you don't have something like track record or you don't have money, go find a partner. That would be the, the simple answer to it. And partners aren't going to come to your, your house. You got to go, go out and go to events, go to uh, local real estate clubs, go to meetup groups, but go to, uh, like, find, join a mentoring program, you know, find other people in that program, partner together. Those are things that I see people do that kind of overcome the big mountain that is the, the, the elusive first deal. Yeah. Now, it, it, what I heard you say is you talk about the we and not the I, and you talk about your terms of your team, and you mentioned some of the critical people on a team, but it's not just anyone. It's pe- ideally people that the brokers know, right? So picking right. your team is really important. You don't pick some guy that no one knows because it doesn't give you a lot of leverage. But if you pick a, a property management company or a mortgage company that is well-known, then that carries a lot of weight. So that was it good. Does. And you also mentioned events. Now you mentioned RIAs and meetups. Uh, so, so you know, as as I mentioned on the previous podcast, I haven't mentioned here yet. I'm affiliated. I'm I'm part of uh, Old Capital, which is a commercial mortgage brokerage based in the Dallas area. We do we did about a half a billion dollars in apartment loans last year here here a lot of in Texas, but all over the nation we were, we're mortgage brokers. So we had an event on Wednesday night, for example, where we had a guest speaker come out and an economist and and talk about the state of the apartment market. And there we probably had 10 brokers show up to that event. And then we had, you know, almost 400 people there and, you know, 390 people that are uh, investors and then about 10 brokers that sell apartments. And that's a good place to go meet brokers, go to events like that, go to like Marcus and Millichap here locally. I'm sure they do in all the major cities have um, like an annual uh, apartment event where they have like multi speakers and that panels and things like that. So go go to one of those events. And brokers go to that. Go to, uh, I don't know if you have BizNow or, or where you are, but I think BizNow is in pretty much most of the major cities. They do all these events and we'll have panels and talk about it. Just go to it. Just, just pay the 300 bucks, get in your car and go downtown to the hotel conference room and go to these events. That's the best way to really go out and meet people. And they all go there. You can see who's speaking at that event as well. And if that broker is uh, someone you want to know in your town and you see speaking at an event, just go to the event and then you go walk up to them and meet them and introduce yourself. Yeah, that's great. It's a great idea. Or just ask brokers what, what kind of events they go to and then go to those same events. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. Anything with like an economist speaking on the state of the market, those are really events that people go to. Banks put on things from time to time, as well as the big brokerage shops. Like, like I said, Dallas, Marcus Millichap does that. But yeah, just, you just got to get out and start going to, uh, to events. You can learn something, but more than what you learn is just kind of the networking and getting the first interaction with that broker and kind of getting face-to-face uh, meeting with them is, is invaluable. 
And that's a good point. I think the face-to-face thing is key. And even if it's a property that you're pursuing, you know, just go set up appointment tour the property. That gives you a chance to meet them as well. And like I said before, give feedback. So what what these brokers don't like is when they send you something and then you go dark on them. Then they're like, well, what the heck? You know, I take all this time. I go meet you and then you don't even follow up with me. So I think if you if you do definitely take a tour, make sure you follow up with detailed feedback. And that's a way for you you know, even if it's not the right deal, you can kind of start shaping in their mind what works for you. Like, oh, I don't like it because it had a, a chill, a chill water system, right? So I had a big, big chiller for the HVAC system. So it's not really, you know, something that fits for me. So if you find something similar location, but individual HVAC units, I, I'd be interested. So that's a good feedback. Then that broker knows, okay, that Michael Blanc doesn't like chiller properties. So I won't send him that deal. And that's a good, um, good, good level of feedback to give the broker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you've you've built some rapport, relationship with uh, you've met them maybe once or twice. What, how do you like to work with brokers on an ongoing basis? So you know you got to be uh, in front of them on a regular basis without being annoying. So that's kind of the, the nuance of it a little bit. So we're we're obviously on everyone's list. I, I'm to this point, I, I get a lot of guys calling me, but that wasn't the case when we started out. So I would just get on everyone's list, and then you know every two weeks, every three weeks, I would call them, say you know talk about whatever deal they had going, and or see if they had anything else coming up, and then I would just kind of start dripping on top of them. Or if I found out something interesting about the market, I would call them and let them know, hey, you know, this this happened or that happened. I obviously had a little bit of a head start to what most people do, being that I was a professional vendor in the business, being a banker. I supported it and I knew a lot of these brokers by being a banker that made loans and they they all knew me because their loan they wouldn't get paid until the the property sells and properties are going to sell to my loan, you know, funded essentially. So I was a pretty key cog to that. But you know, everyone starts with what they have and and the resources they have. And my biggest challenge is getting everyone to not think of me as a as a banker, but as a principal in these deals. And I had to work hard to get that stigma off of me and then get the perception of Michael Becker in the marketplace as, as a principal that does it. So, you know, partnering, going to these events, those are certainly ways to do it. But to staying on top of these the brokers and, and, and following up every month, every two weeks, Something like that, just checking in, seeing what they got going. That that's a good way to just kind of stay top of mind. Because if you don't do that, you're gonna someone else is, and that that other person will get the deal. And if you just happen to call them at the right time, and you ask about something, it could just trigger in their mind because they just got off a call 30 minutes earlier about this property. You might kind of just get matched up. You're right. I mean, you got to stay in touch with these with these guys every every couple of weeks. And I found that most people, most brokers, for some reason, aren't very good at staying in touch with their buyers list. It's, it's a darndest thing. But you know, you talked about you have a head start on people because you were in the mortgage business. But for someone who isn't, one thing one can do is just look for industry specific news and just email it to them. Say, hey, I just saw you know thought you'd, you'd like to see yeah. that, you know, yeah. and, and maybe provide a little bit of value. That's right. And just and it's just one little touch point. And the more they more you do stuff like that, you're just your name crosses their, their minds and it just, this life, a lot of it's just about timing and being at the right place at the right time. But if you're not putting yourself in front of them, they're not going to think of you when they had that call 30 minutes earlier about a guy who potentially wants to sell this property. So talk about an instance where you've did, you've done this, you've, especially back in your early days, you're, you're building relationships and rapport, and then you get a call with this off market deal. I mean, how, how does that even work? What does that look like? Yeah. So we kind of source off market deals a few different ways. So one of them is just the, the broker has a deal that they, somebody wants to sell and they, they're okay slamming an offer off market instead of going through the whole marketing process. So, so let me do this. The reason why people would even sell a property in the off market, that's a question that I get asked all the time. 
wouldn't it always be better to just go through the marketing process? And, and usually the, the, the answer to that is yes. But what I think a lot of people that sell deals off market have in common, you know, you have a couple of main reasons I've seen a lot of people do it. You know, one, we bought a deal off of a, a really large operator here in town. They own 40,000 units and they uh, very sophisticated group and they, they, but they had a loan maturity coming up in three months. So they needed to either refinance the deal or sell it. And they had three months to make a decision. So they didn't have time to go through the whole marketing process. So that was, we were able to come in quick and um, strike a deal and close it before the loan matured. So that, that was one reason why they sold it. Uh, another reason why I see a lot of people sell deals are kind of mom and pop operators, meaning that they, uh, they self-manage these deals and the, the staff on site, they actually are employees of the owners versus a group like me where I'm set up where I have a third-party management company. So all the on-site staff are employees of the management company. And I don't really have a personal relationship with any of them. That's another reason why I've seen people do it. Or if there's just a lot of deferred maintenance, sometimes they don't want to go through that whole process of actually selling it. So those are some, some key uh, characteristics of deals that I've seen that I've sold off market. So when you're talking with brokers, you know, I always keep, I, I bring things like that up or suggest they know of anybody that has a loan maturity coming up. Maybe we can slam a deal in pretty quick and, and try to do it before they refinance it. You know, so when I'm talking with these brokers, those are some of the, the things that I, I talk about when I'm asking uh, what they're what they're working on. Or another another way is if this broker is when the, when people go sell their properties, they typically go get two or three different opinions of values from brokers. And then you select the broker you want to sell it with. So one of the questions I always ask is, hey, have you have you done a BOV, an opinion of that broker's opinion of value on anything that you know you're not going to get the listing on? And so and so, your competitor is going to sell it. Maybe we can come slam an LOI in now before this other guy signs a listing agreement, and maybe try to take it down because they don't have anything to lose because they're not going to get the listing anyways. That's mm -hmm. been something we've done that that's worked pretty well. Another thing we've done that's worked pretty well is we subscribe to all the data services, and those all cost money. So it's just a, a matter of you know how much you know you're willing to invest into it. So you typically don't subscribe to as many of them starting out, but we'll go to uh, like ALN. And CoStar, for example, are two, two of those uh, data services we subscribe to. We, we'll go target a part of town that we want to own apartments in. So then we'll look for deals that are you know, 200 units and up that are built before 1990. And, and we go kind of pull list in this little geographical area that we look at the properties that are lagging uh, about 10% or more in rental rates compared to their competitors. And that's our target list that we, that we go and we'll go to a broker and partner with them and say, Hey, you know, here's these eight properties in this area. If we can strike a deal on price, we'd buy any of these eight deals. That's the way that we won a few deals that way by just giving the broker a list of eight deals and then they'll go call and sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. Another thing we do too is, is we go, we download virtually, like I set them on everyone's list. We download every offering memorandum, every OM, and we archive it. And so we have, you know, about five years of history now of, uh, of OMs and, and we just go back in time and then you just never know when you see something, you can have this old OM and then you can see which broker sold it back five years ago. And you know that that broker has a relationship with that owner and that, that would be a broker that we would target on uh, for that property, right? Um, or if that, that broker sold to that owner, but that owner owns four other properties, I know that that broker has a, a personal relationship with that with that ownership group, and the likelihood of actually striking a deal goes way up if you deal with someone that's already done a transaction with them. 
you know, those are just some rambling tips. I don't know if I answered your question. I think I got off on a tangent there. So if you want to re-ask a question, I can. No, I you can did get off a little, little of a tangent, but it was a good one because what you're doing is you're basically using the broker. So you're being more proactive with the broker. You're saying, hey, broker guy, normally you're, you're feeding me deals when you get a listing, but why don't you go out, look for these criteria and actually proactively reach out to these owners and see if they're interested in selling. That's right. You know, and these, these brokers, you, you know, another thing I do too is selling decisions a lot of times are revolve around the debt that's on the deal. So uh, if you're going to go chase a deal, they just put a brand new like CMBS loan on, for example, that has nine years of maturity and a large prepayment penalty. That's usually not a deal that's going to actually trade. But if you, you can start targeting deals that have maturities coming up in the next year, these these owners are thinking, okay, what do I need to do? I either need to refinance it or sell it. And then usually kind of uh, when you refinance, it's a natural time to think, okay, well, what's my property worth? Is it worth a lot more than I paid for it? I might want to go sell it. So, you know, we really kind of target as best we can through CoStar has some some basic debt information in it. And we look it up and then we try to go that route and start trying to find deals that have upcoming loan expirations. And then we just go target those deals or deals that are have open prepayment penalties that we can go target those deals if they have a, a large prepayment penalty and it's not a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan that has a sumo loan with a supplemental financing available, which I think I talked about in the last podcast. But basically what a supplemental loan is, is on the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, if you go sell the deal, they allow you to re-leverage the loan back up to 75% of the new value with a second lien coterminous note. So if you have six years left on your mortgage, they'll give you a six-year loan, kind of match the same maturity date. And that's a really uh, great tool that you can go on these Fannie Mae loans. But if you have, like I say, a CMBS loan or a bank loan, they don't allow supplemental financing in most cases. So that that's not something that you can get. So just kind of you got to be really strategic about it. So we, we, we think a lot about the debt on these deals. If it's coming due, is that a pressure point for this guy that he might sell his property? Um, you know, there's. So all these different reasons why people sell, but that's certainly one of the top ones. So the brokers, any good broker knows a lot of that data and they all have access to CoStar, ALN, Pierce Island, Trap, all, all these other data services that cost thousands of dollars to subscribe to. So if you don't have those resources, just, you know, the brokers typically do. So I would certainly ask the brokers for those types of reports and if they know if this loan is maturing or, or whatever. Those, those are some of the things that I think about. Hmm, interesting. That's pretty cool. So while you're on a roll, any other ways to find off-market deals that you've seen working? So we, we do that. Let's see what else have we done. You know, certainly as you grow and you scale, if uh, you own, like we own four deals that are this almost, or two of them are contiguous and two of them are across the street from each other. And they're all like right there, same part of town. And so now over in that part of town, anything that ever comes up, I'm always the first phone call from everybody because they know I own for the deals in that part of town so that, you know, obviously I, I like that part of town. So, you know, those are ways that anything in that pocket, we pretty much have talked to brokers about trying to trying to buy virtually every other property in town. So if you start uh, getting a little bit of success and you own in a certain part of town, then, you know, the logical thing is to start working on brokers to say, you know, hey, Michael owns this property in this part of town. You know, every other competitive property over there is a potential target for me to buy. So that that really, that's a pretty powerful story when they're going telling a uh, potential seller of a property that, mm. you know, you, this this owner really knows this location because he owns around the corner. So that that's definitely uh, another thought I have. And then, you know, partnering with them, giving them a list, that, that's a really good way of doing it because these brokers are on the phone 
all day, every day. That's their job. They're making, you know, 30, 40 phone calls a day trying to trying to get listings on deals. So if they're they're going to be on the phone anyway. So if you give them a list of a property and they can call this owner saying, hey, I have a, a buyer who specifically asked me to call on your property. That's a pretty good uh, kind of like a give to the broker. So you're not just asking for something. You're giving them a list to call on. So I think that's a pretty uh, powerful way of, of doing it as well. That's awesome, man. You are a wealth of information. Appreciate you sharing your experience. Uh, what's I know you you have a fantastic podcast. I want everyone to know about that as well. And I listen to other podcasts, and yours is certainly one of them. Tell us a little bit about uh, old, the Old Capital podcast. Yeah, so it's the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. You can go to oldcapitalpodcast.com or it's in uh, iTunes and Stitcher and all the other big podcast aggregators out there and if uh, you're an apartment nerd it's a podcast for you right so if you're an apartment nerd you, you must be if you listen to michael's podcast too so uh <laughs> you know uh we just we interview a lot of people that we do business with at old capital so a lot of our clients uh, a lot of them you know both experience and a lot of first timers they you know got their first or second deal done and we talk kind of about what they've learned and kind of stories as well as we have economists and people from management companies and other uh, vendors in the uh, the industry that uh, that we do business with kind of talk about state of the market or how you, how do you do insurance or how do you you know whatever work with brokers things like that so we had i don't know we've probably had about 100 podcasts maybe a little bit more now we've been doing it for about three four years just haven't been as uh, successful as Michael has been in, in getting a big audience, but uh, we're, we're starting to grow up there. And I think it's, um, you know, if you're into apartments, it's certainly a, a good resource and to learn. So definitely well, encourage you want to go uh, listen to this, go, go subscribe to ours as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that may or may not be the case, but you guys are putting out some real good content, real life example, case study. So yeah, definitely. Anyone's listening to this podcast should also be listening to yours. So definitely. So <laughs> yeah, how, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way is probably you just go to my company website. It's spiadvisory.com, SPI, like spyadvisory.com. You can see the uh, my phone number and email are on, on the website. So you can just, you know, email me at mbecker at spiadvisory.com or, or, you know, my phone number is on our website as well if you want to reach out. I'm always happy to uh, talk shop. Awesome, Michael. Appreciate you coming back on the show and sharing a lot of knowledge about working with brokers to find off-market deals. Thanks, Michael. So here's some of the things that stuck out for me. And Michael talked about that you talk about yourself in terms of your team, right? So if you don't have any experience, well, then surround yourself with people who do, either a partner or a commercial real estate mortgage broker or a property manager. Ideally, these are people that are well-known. So spend some time you know, making finding out who's well known in town and surround yourself with those people because chances are if they're known to the broker, it adds you a lot of credibility. So that's the first thing. Number two is be responsive to the broker. When they send you a deal, go ahead and respond to them. Use the 10 minute offer technique to give them feedback on on that deal. Try to look for ways to meet them in person, really building a relationship and do that by touring a property, meeting with them, meeting for them for lunch or finding out what events they go to and meeting them at those events. Those are kind of critical. And then stay in touch without being annoying. You know, touch base every couple of weeks, figure out some piece of value maybe that you can provide to give them an update. So that's really the keys to uh, finding and, and building a relationship with brokers. And I really like the, what Michael said about using brokers kind of more proactively and actually saying, look, I want you to find these deals in this area, reach out to those owners and and really directing them above and beyond what they're already doing. So really, really good stuff. So go out there and start building relationships with brokers. Number one way to find deals. It might take a few months, but all you need is two or three brokers feeding deals on a constant basis and you'll have more deals than you know what to do with. It just takes a little time. So stick with it. 
All right. Well, if you haven't already, then make sure you download my free ebook called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. You can get it at themichaelblanc.com forward slash ebook. That's T H E Michael Blanc B L A N K forward slash ebook. You can also get it via text message, which uh, you, you message the word secret book, one word secret book to 44222. You can get it via text message as well. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks very much. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.